Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. I'm glad that uh, you've taken time to join us in worship. We're in the middle of a very short series that will run through the rest of this month and the first week in September entitled What Disciples Do. Last week, we looked at our calling to gather together regularly as a community. This week, we uh, talk about what it means to grow as followers of Christ. What do disciples do? They grow. Please join me in prayer, and then we'll look at this together. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather within these walls and listen for your voice this morning. We ask and pray and trust that your Holy Spirit would shape us now to be people of hope in our city, particularly. We're mindful, Lord Jesus, that we live in a rapidly changing city in the midst of... uh, an influx of new people every week, every day, new people moving here from all over the world. This is a great privilege uh, and a great responsibility and at times a great annoyance, we all know that. Uh, But we're grateful, grateful, Father, uh, that you are bringing people together and pray that we would be a community uh, of hospitality and hope and openness to one another and to the stranger. Toward that end, teach us even this morning, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we're looking at growing this morning, and uh, so I want to just share a little bit on the physiological level about growth uh, related to exercise. When I took a hike with my wife for 40 days through the Alps, in preparation for that, I read a book entitled Training for the New Alpinism, about how to get in shape for hiking. And there's good news in that book that's good news for all of us, whether or not you hike. And the good news is this. Your aerobic capacity, your heart and your lungs, can actually improve. Doesn't matter, almost doesn't matter where you're at, there's a, there's a level where you can get better. Did you know that? And that's actually, that's actually good news. You can have more energy, more energy for hospitality, more energy to serve people, more energy. And all you have to do is exercise. You just have to walk around Green Lake a little rapidly or something like that, get your heart in some aerobic zone, whatever. But there's a trajectory line, and it can be this. For anyone in the room, it can be this. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. There's a limit to that trajectory line, and the, and the limit is somewhat physiological, but your main limit, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you probably already know this, your main limit to your uh, uh, aerobic trajectory line is chronological. You understand what I mean by that? You'll re- yeah, some of you are, you know, shaking your head. Some are weeping already here in the room. You're mindful of this. You reach a limit, and then there's... There's a decline. You can still do stuff, but you won't be able to do stuff with the same intensity that you did stuff before. And this is annoying for those of us who are growing older because we still feel in our minds that we can do the same stuff at the same pace, but strangely, people are passing me on the trail now, and I don't understand it. I'm still working just as hard as I ever did, but I'm slowing down. Fred Becky is this guy who is a, like a Northwest icon of a climber. He's still climbing. Uh, there was this thing called Dirtbag, a movie about this guy who made, his, he made a livelihood out of being a climbing bum here in the Northwest. And for decades, all he did was climb. And he, he's still at it in his 90s, but very slow very slow in his 90s, but still at it. There's this, there's this, right? Now, I, this is the best news. I've given you good news and bad news. Here's the best news. You're, there's no limit to your spiritual growth. None. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. Though your body is wasting away, and that's Paul's depressing assessment of aging, aging in a nutshell, 
body wasting away, that your body's wasting away. Listen to this. Your spirit is being renewed daily. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're 90, 95, 110, 50, 30, you can be on a growth trajectory. And not only can you be, but you're made for it. You'll be at your best when you continue to grow spiritually your whole life, right? And so the question on the table this morning is this. If we're made for growth, um, what does growth look like, first of all? Second, uh, why does it matter, in a sense? And third, how do we grow? So we're going to look at what growth looks like. Spiritual, we're going to kind of get a vision. What does spiritual growth look like? What, is, what does health look like spiritually for us? Why, does this, why is this so important? Third, how do we get there? Because we're called to grow and we're given the capacity to grow. All of us in the room, we have capacity for growth. So what is growing? Well, here's the deal. Growing is an ongoing process whereby the risen Jesus is seen within you with greater and greater clarity. So a week from now, a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, here's the hope and prayer. You look more like Jesus then than you do now. That's, it's that simple. That's what growth is, looking more like Jesus. It's defined in the Bible a couple of places. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, uh, he, he kind of makes a summary statement of what uh, his growth is. He says, he, Christ, must increase. I, John, must what? Decrease. So less of Richard in my autonomy, more of Christ seen through Richard. Does that make sense? That's the way it's supposed to work. So that's growth. And then the Apostle Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We all with unveiled face are continually seeing the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. So imagine you're looking at Christ. You're, you're seeing Christ with clarity. You're getting to know Christ. Here's the promise. If I am gazing at Christ, getting to know Christ, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm told. I'm being transformed into Christ's image. So don't you love that? Transformation is a passive word there. In other words, transformation isn't something you do. You don't transform yourself. Transformation happens to you. But there's an active verb in that same passage. And what's the, what's the active verb or participle in this case? Gazing. I'm gazing on Christ. I'm looking at Jesus. And as I get to see Jesus, Jesus is transforming me from glory to glory to glory, meaning I look more and more and more and more like Christ. And if you look at this, then what you see in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 uh, through 18 is that this transformation is continual, lifelong journey. And then Paul says at the end of his life, Philippians 3, he's, at the very end, he says, not that I have yet arrived. I'm not done growing. Very end, not done growing. So spiritual growing is like uh, physical growing in that when we're born spiritually, we're born as infants. Remember what Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus? He, Nicodemus comes and says, Jesus, hey, I want to be part of this kingdom. Jesus says, you want to be part? You must be what? Born again. Well, what does that mean? Asks Nicodemus. He's thinking physically. And basically what Jesus is saying is, look, the seed that is nothing less than my life, Christ's life, my seed must take root in you. And it takes root in you as a seed, but then as, a, as seeds do that take root, the seed will what? It'll grow. And as it grows, more and more of Christ will be seen. I'll begin to refine your life so that you will look more and more like Christ. Now, when this seed is born in you, you're what's called, in the Bible, it's not derogatory, it's just the way it is, you're called a spiritual infant. And as infants, we have a kind of a limited diet. 
In other words, uh, we're not able to absorb everything. We have limited discernment, so we're easily swayed away from uh, truth in a sense. Uh, and and we're, even though we have Christ, we can be a bit self-centered at the beginning, right? Slow to forgive, uh, uh, quick to kind of carry with us injustice or bitterness, maybe still dealing with greed, maybe still dealing with sexual things. I mean, I've told you stories before of people who came to Christ and still had like vast terrain in their heart that was unconquered by Christ. They, did they love Jesus? Yes. Did they know Jesus? Yes. Was their sexual life a mess? Yes. Or their financial life or their emotional life or whatever? Absolutely. So we have a seed, but that doesn't mean uh, when we come to Christ, we're instantly mature. In fact, Exactly the opposite. We grow, it's slow, and we actually never arrive. But we can keep growing our whole life. So uh, when we're talking about growth here, I'm going to ask the question then, yeah, how do I know if I'm actually growing? What what does growth actually look like? So that I can know that I'm not stagnant and growing. Well, here's the thing. There's a couple of false notions of growth that I want to kind of sweep away at the beginning. Growing is not equal to, so this is what I'm doing, not equal to, but it's not equal to just gaining Bible knowledge and your ability to know doctrine and defend doctrine. Nothing wrong with the Bible, right? We're here, we have Bibles, we read them, we study them. We're supposed to, we're gonna talk about that extensively in days ahead. All good, all important, Bible knowledge important. But having Bible knowledge does not equal growth necessarily. How do I know this? Jesus said it, John 5, 39. He spoke with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. This is what he said. You guys search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now that sounds like, like a commendation, right? Hey, yeah, we search the scriptures. Man, we have Bible study. We, like some of these Pharisees, they would memorize the scriptures in such a way that if it were in booklet form, it wasn't always, sometimes it was a scroll, but if it were in booklet form, you could drive a nail through the text and uh, name the first word on the first page, and the Pharisees could tell you where the nail penetrated every other word. They memorized to the point of knowing where on the page the text was. Did they know the Bible? Yes. Here's Jesus. You, you think that in knowing the Bible, uh, you're mature. You have life. Here's Jesus. He says, the problem is you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. Do you get this? I can have Bible knowledge and not come to Christ. I can come here every week, sit, take notes, and not grow an inch. So Bible knowledge in and of itself, the ability to know doctrine, defend doctrine, proclaim doctrine, teach doctrine, that's not maturity. Here's the other thing that isn't maturity. Maturity does not equal religious activity, like doing stuff, quote, for Jesus. How do I know that? Jesus said that too. Matthew 7. At the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, hey, you know, many will come to me in the last day, the day of judgment, and they'll say, Oh, Jesus, in your name, right, we cast out demons and heal the sick and perform many miracles. And Jesus will say, depart from me, what? Here's my complaint. I never knew you. So you did stuff, but you never knew me. (laughs) And by the way, knowing me is the only way you can mature. Like you have to gaze at Christ and then he's transforming you. So just because you're feeding the poor... Just because you're passionate about justice, 
just because you're passionate about racism, just because you're passionate about apologetics or knowing the Bible or teaching the Bible or memorizing the Bible, that doesn't make you a follower of Christ. And it certainly doesn't make you mature. So we swept that away. And now then we ask the question, okay, well, what does, like, what does growing look like? If it's not inherently Bible knowledge, not inherently religious activity, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. Growing means you look more like Jesus in every way. Growing means you, look, you end up looking more like Jesus, and then I underline this in my own notes, in every way I look more like Jesus. So I become balanced. Does Jesus cross social divides? Yeah, so I better. Does Jesus love enemies? Yes, so I better do that too. Does Jesus have compassion on the weak, the sick, the marginalized? Absolutely, I better do the same. Does Jesus take marriage seriously? Yeah, I should too. In other words, are you finding like liberation from addiction? That's a sign of maturity. Are, are you living with your body and sexuality in a way that's life-giving rather than destructive? That's a sign of maturity. Are you able to spend time alone? That's a sign of maturity. Are you able to spend time with other people? That's a sign of maturity. To the extent that you have it, are you giving money away? That's a sign of maturity. Are you gathering with people for worship in order to, to be an encouragement to others, in order to be the presence of Christ? Do you see yourself as filled with Jesus so that when you walk into a room, you're like this? How can Jesus serve through me? That's a sign of maturity. And, 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 and so again, growing means I look like, more like Jesus in every way, and many of us in the room are imbalanced. And this has physiological uh, analogies, many of us in the room are imbalanced physiologically as well, right? We, you know, we lean one way or the other, different things like that. Uh, imbalanced. So, I'm all about justice, I'm all about reconciliation, and my life is sexual anarchy. <laughs> or I'm all about focusing on the family, and, and I, I, I'm blind to injustice, and I'm blind to racism, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm blind to, you know, the oppression that's going on in my own neighborhood. No, no. Growing means looking more like Jesus Underline it, in every way, that's growing. So, so uh, one author says it this way. It's not believing in Christ, which ultimately is the de definition of maturity, believing in Christ. No, no, anyone can give mental assent to the fact that Jesus lived, died, rose again, is, is returning, will judge us, has forgiven me of my sins even. I can believe that mentally, I can give assent to it, but that is not maturity. Maturity is this, becoming like Christ. And all, the only way you do that is to, you have to grow. You grow into it. You don't snap your fingers and it happens. It happens very slowly. The way the growth happens in your own human body. It just happens, right? So when this happens to each of us individually, then something remarkable will happen here collectively as well. Because growing means this. You will grow into depth of community. And you'll, you'll end up pursuing unity rather than dividing. This is very, very important. A community of growing disciples will display something very rare in this age. As you know, 2017, we live in a very polarized, divided world. There's racial division. There's political division. There's economic division. There are other ideological divisions as well, philosophical divisions. And so uh, we become increasingly... Uh, uh, polarized as we kind of gather in echo chambers of people who look like us, think like us, talk like us, believe like us. And, and when a community of disciples grow, they grow into, a, listen, a unity of purpose and ultimately they'll grow into a unity of views 
But until we get there, though we have, watch this, watch my hands, though we have a unity of purpose, and we will someday have a unity of use when we all see perfectly, since we don't all see perfectly, between now and then, we will have what? A diversity of views even on things. This is very hard for us to hear, but we need to take a moment and unpack this. Listen, there's a couple of ways to be unhealthy. One is you can find communities where there are a unity of views, but it's not really unity at all. It's just conformity to an authoritarian moral structure. In other words, sometimes a group of leaders or a leader stands up and says, look, we've heard from God perfectly, and we know everything that's right and wrong, and so listen to us, and we will tell you exactly how to live in every area of your life, and if you don't, get out. And so, that's, are we now united? Yeah, we're united, but we're united under, under conformity. We're not united in love. And it's, and it's predicated on the false assumption that any one of us, including uh, any leader in a church, knows everything. First uh, Corinthians 13 says it this way. Until we see Christ face to face, we're looking through a glass, what? With fog in it. So we don't, we, we, there's some things we proclaim fully, like the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, I believe in, you know, God the Father, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, risen, returns. I get it. I believe it. I defend it. And there's other stuff that we don't know. And so where there's maturity, we don't divide over things that we don't know. I hope you see this. And there's a reason that we don't divide. I'll share it in a minute. On the other hand, you can find a diversity of views in some communities, a diversity of views, but no commitment to transformation. In other words, this diversity isn't unity. This diversity is mere tolerance. And you need to understand that no community worth its salt is just tolerant. No one says, hey, whatever, believe, John, believe whatever you want. I don't really care. We're all, you know, we just love each other. No, it's a kind of, you know, you enter and in the door is this conflict-free zone. No, that's not, that's tolerance. That's not, um, that's not real unity. Do you understand? Uh, and, and here's the problem with this. First, nobody really believes that. I don't actually believe that you can believe anything you want because I have my limits, right? Everyone does. Oh, you can believe anything you want. And then, and then we say, oh, yeah, but not pedophilia, not four wives, not stealing stuff. Oh, so we do have limits. We just don't agree on what all those limits are. Am I making sense? So it, any group that is a group uh, has convictions and fences. Otherwise, they don't have an identity. If John comes over to my house for supper and he eats with his hands, I'm like this, whatever. Maybe that's the way they did it in California before he moved up here. I don't know. <laughs> Land of fruits and nuts, anything goes. It's fine. So he eats with his hands and I'm like, okay, he eats with his hands. But however, you know, if John moves in, then I have to, then we have, now we have to have a conversation don't we? And I say, hey, listen, buddy, in these parts, um, we use forks and knives, and so, like, my house, my rules. Does, are, am I making any sense here? Like, yeah, anyone can, can visit a community, no problem. But if you're in a community, there's, there's some shared values, there have to be. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a unity of shared values, uh, but there's also a diversity on things where we don't all agree. And we, listen, we will wrestle with this for, forever. 
And I will just tell you, that's actually a sign of maturity. The fact that we wrestle with it, rather than divide over it, is a sign of maturity. How do I know this? Because we, what we do share as mature saints is a unity of purpose. Here's the one thing that we all want. If you call Bethany home, we want Christ to be seen with absolute clarity. We all do. That, we're united on that. We believe that the seed of Christ has taken up residence in us, and we're committed to helping one another grow so that more and more and more of Christ's character is displayed in our daily lives. Displayed in our work, in our home, in our marriages, in our, in, our, in our sexuality, in our singleness, in every way, we want Christ to be seen. So we have a unity of purpose. We have a core commitment to the centrality of Christ, and there are issues on which we don't agree. We have a diversity of opinion on those issues. We don't all agree on divorce. We don't all agree on, you know, carrying weapons, owning assault rifles. We don't all agree that healthcare is a right for all people. We don't all agree that environmental stewardship is a, is a discipleship issue. There's a lot of things I could go on and on where we don't all agree, but we do all agree on this. We want Jesus to be seen. So that's the tension in which we find ourselves. But if we have this ongoing journey of looking more and more like Christ and making Christ visible, this makes us as a community, I hope and pray, A, very Christ-centered, the centrality of Christ, and B, also very humble. We're not there yet. We're learning along the way. We need each other. We need views that are different than ours. And what this looks like is exactly what Don read for us as the scripture. Let's take a look at it again. Particularly, I want you to focus on something significant here that speaks to our collective nature. It says that at the beginning, we were what? In the first line, we were infants, right? And note there that infants is what? Not singular, but plural. Infant, infant, infant. In the room, 600 infants. But then as we mature, look at the last line. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body, not plural, but what? Singular. We're moving from, from uh, plural, which is like me and you and you and you and you, to us together. We're moving toward this beautiful singular, which is the collective uh, gathering of the saints that displays with greater clarity the, the reality of Christ than any single individual could display. So we gather together so that Christ could be seen, as I talked uh, about last week. And as we gather together and as we mature, we become one body. And we're watch, watch this, we're becoming increasingly one body, learning more and more and more and more, becoming more and more and more like Jesus. It's a progression. And it's not without tension, and it's not without hard conversations, and it's not without some ambiguity, but this is our calling. So we're growing then in discernment so that we are no longer, as this text says in Ephesians 4, no longer tossed around by every wind of doctrine. And all that's simple. It's pretty simple, but what it really means here is uh, uh, because we're fixated on Christ and the centrality of Christ, when issues come across the screen of our culture, we won't allow ourselves to be defined by the particular issue. Does this make sense? Issues will come and go. Uh, racism is an, is an issue. Economic inequity is an issue. Uh, in, in, uh, nationalism is, is an issue. Greed is an issue. Individualism is, is an issue. But we don't want to say, oh, because individualism is an issue, we're the church that's only about community. 
or because racism is an issue, we're the church that's only about racial reconciliation. No, we're about becoming more like Christ. And, and, and what Christ does is Christ addresses the imbalances in our collective life together so that we then are able to address the issues of the day in the culture, but never in a way that elevates the issue to a point of identity. Our identity isn't the issue, our identity is Christ. I hope this makes sense to you because it's actually very, very important. And what this looks like then is we grow from the individualism of infancy to the singular of a body. Infants to one body. So maturity then, hear this, has a very strong relational dimension. It's just super important that we understand that. Maturity is a strong... You don't grow and grow isolated at the same time. If you're, if you're in isolation, there's something about your growth that's unhealthy. Just need to, you need to see that because that's kind of where we're heading this morning. Second, then, let me talk about why growing matters. The reason that you have to be intentional about your growth in Christ is because if you're not intentional about your growth in Christ, you won't grow. That's just the way it is. How do I know that? That's what the Bible says. Uh, we look at the nation of Israel as an example in the Old Testament, and it's articulated for us in 1 Corinthians 10, where the Apostle Paul says, hey, I don't want you to be unaware that many uh, who were enslaved in Egypt put blood on the door. That's a picture of getting saved. They, put, they believed in the blood of the lamb to save them from slavery. That sounds very familiar to the church. So they put blood on the door. Then they walked through the Red Sea because the Red Sea was parted. Uh, and, and, and walking through the Red Sea, it's a picture actually of baptism. And they come to the other side and they drank from a rock and we're told that, you remember Moses, they were thirsty, Moses strikes the rock, they drink from the rock. We're told the rock was what? Christ. So get this. Saved by the blood, baptized in the ocean, drinking from the rock that is Christ. Are these people, quote, unquote, saved? Yes. Did they stop growing? All of them but two who left slavery stopped growing. They all died in the wilderness. So Paul says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. In other words, all you have to do to stop growing is nothing. Like growth, in other words, spiritual growth isn't like your body in a sense. Like you, there's intentionality to your growing. I guess it is like your body in a sense. If all you want to, if you just want to lose aerobic capacity, just never move, and then lo and behold, you like you'll lose aerobic capacity. Conversely, you want to gain aerobic capacity, you have to do something. Make sense? Same thing's true spiritually. There's, there's something that you have to do. In fact, Paul, in the previous chapter, he articulates this warning in chapter 10. Chapter 9, he says, hey, uh, uh, y'all know, this is uh, Paul speaking about his intent. He says, you know, everybody runs in a race, but only one wins the prize. And then this is what Paul says. I run in such a way that I may what? I want to win. Like, I'm, uh, my growth in Christ is, this is Paul, my growth in Christ is for me the most important thing. Not secondary, the most important thing. Now, uh, I was reminded of this a, a while ago, I'll tell you a story, it's a little bit parenthetical, but important to me. I, well, I speak at these various schools, these torchbearer schools. Once I was speaking at school, it was, the la- it was the last week, so I was also there for graduation. Each student got to write a verse 
on, a, on a card, and then when they came out to get their diploma, the verse is read. There's a young man from Africa, and his name was Only One. That was his name. He was an only child, and he was named Only One. And then, actually, he had a brother, 10 years later, was born. I said, what's his name? Come Lately was his name. <laughs> what's not to love about that, right? So two brothers, only one, come lately. Only one gets called up to get his diploma, and he'd, ch he'd chosen 1 Corinthians 9. Everyone runs in the race, but only one gets the prize. <laughs> and he, he grabs his diploma, and he puts it in a fist like that, and he walks off the stage. I, and I talked about it, I said, that was awesome. He said, it wasn't just a joke, it was a joke. It wasn't just a joke. He says, that's who I want to be. I want to be the one who's still growing when I'm 85. Yeah, yeah, me too. You guys know me. I want to be Gandalf when I grow up. I'm hoping it happens still. <laughs> but listen, it, hear me. It only happens with intentionality. And so growing matters because if you are not intent on growing, you won't grow. That's why Paul's vision for the church, first, uh, Colossians 1, verse 26 to 28, is this. Paul says, look, I'm preaching a mystery, and the mystery is this. Christ lives in you. That's the hope of glory. Like the seed has been planted, so you can become more like Christ. You can, but then Paul says this. So I continue to preach. I continue to lead. I continue to serve because here's my vision. Every person, watch this, complete in Christ. Everyone complete in Christ so that this seed continues to grow so that more and more and more of Christ is seen in each of us individually and certainly then seen in us collectively. And so all of us in the room have areas <clears throat> in our lives where we are, quote unquote, incomplete, right? Some of us have too much of something. Some of us have too little of other things. Maybe we're excessive with sex, with food, with drink, with shopping, with talking, with shame, with cynicism. And it sidelines us. Like our growth has stopped because we will not deal with the one thing that is preventing us from growing. Uh, the author to the Hebrews calls it our besetting sin. Everybody has a weakness. We have weaknesses in our body. We have weaknesses in our spirit. And so some are excessive in certain areas. Some are insufficient, insufficient in hospitality, insufficient in relationships, insufficient in generosity. So God's vision for you is to bring your entire body into alignment, and it will be an ongoing, lifelong process. But here's the point. When an issue is exposed, if you don't deal with it, then you stop growing. And if God is speaking to you about generosity and you're not generous, your growth stops. God is speaking to you about being in community and you remain isolated, your growth stops. God's vision, ongoing growth. Great example of it in the Bible, David. Like when he fails, uh, he turns back to God over and over and over again. Does he fail? Of course he fails. But the point is when he fails, he doesn't defend himself, he doesn't blame, he confesses and he grows keeps coming back to the pursuit of Christ as his default position. What's, like, that's the question. Are you committed to growing, and is that your default position? So that when you fail, when God exposes a weakness, you're, you're willing to deal with a weakness. Now, that's the, that's the thing. Then, here's the last thing we're going to see. How does, how does growth happen? How does it happen? Well, uh, again, 
A key verse for your growth is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. I've already articulated that the active participle is gazing. My calling? Gaze at the glory of God. In other words, like I want to put on my kind of Jesus glasses and see the whole world, what is God saying to me? Through everything, I'm looking for God's glory. Looking for God's glory in text, certainly, because the text is how we're transformed. Looking for God's glory in creation, because that is God's biggest book. Psalm 104, creation is shouting. Psalm 19, creation is shouting. Psalm 1, creation is teaching. Romans 10, creation is teaching. Genesis 1, creation is good. Creation is the character of God. We see it in creation. So we grow through creation. We grow through the text. And then, uh, you know, finally, this is the interesting thing. We grow through being in community. Now, let me just speak here very directly to us as Seattleites and Bethanyites and all that stuff. Uh, out of these three, like, if there are three legs of a stool, which leg is short? Community. Like text, we're, we could do better, but we're okay. Many of you are taking notes right now. Text. Must know text. Underlined. Congratulations, I'm taking notes. I know the text. Good. Text is important. Creation, this church is creation junkies. <laughs> like, we were reviewed once in The Stranger, and we were called the REI Church. That's kind of who we are. <laughs> so, biking, sailing, hiking, climbing, all the time. I mean, I was at a high mountain lake this week for an overnight with my wife, and two guys were hiking out. Richard, we go to Bethany. Bethany is in creation. It's not a worry. <laughs> so now, but then here's a question. What about community? This is the heart. This is the hardest one. Hard for a couple of reasons. First, it's hard because this is Seattle, right? And how, how many have heard the phrase? Some of you have. If you're new, maybe you haven't. But see, the Seattle freeze. Do you know, you know what I mean by that? Some of you. Some of you don't know. Here's the thing. The, just in general, sociologically, the further west you get in the United States, the more independent you are. I mean, it's the pioneers who came out here, like who didn't need anybody. And so we have kind of a strong bent toward individualism out here. And even a little bit, it's also true that the further north you go, the more independent you are. So just take a quick mental scan of the geography of our country, <laughs> and where are we? Furthest west, furthest north, most independent. And a huge Scandinavian culture shaped us. And Scandinavians are friendly outwardly, but also kind of keep their distance. When, so that when we say in this city, hey, let's have coffee, what we mean is I don't care if I ever see you again. <laughs> That's what we mean. It, like, it comes... It comes across as friendly, but how many in the room, you're new to the city, and you're like, I'm having a hard time meeting people. For whom has this been the case? Raise your hands in the room. You have a hard time meeting people when you're new here. Some of you are shaking your heads, some of you are raising your hands. It's a problem, right? So this is, this is a thing, and, and it creates like a bent toward individualism, and then we're in a large church. And large churches are, it can be harder to find relationships. So... Uh, toward that end, we've created uh, uh, a new structure for small groups here at Bethany to facilitate community. 
And uh, we're going to have a chance here to respond in a minute. But I will just say, uh, for many of us in the room, of the three, text creation community, community is our weak spot, right? Uh, in other words, uh, who knows your weakness? Who knows your fear? Who knows your failure? Who knows your doubt? Who knows? Oh, nobody, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. We need each other. We're called to be in community. And if, if we're unwilling to engage in this third leg of the stool, listen, the loss is not only me, the loss is the whole community. In other words, people need what you have to give in the same sense that you need what others have to give. Christ is seen in the body. You are the body of Christ. Therefore, we're called to be building in our lives significant relationships. We're not designed to be alone. When I moved here years ago, uh, pretty quickly, uh, I ended up being invited over to a couple's house for supper. And we got there at 6 o'clock. And I'll never forget the evening because there were candles on the table and they just kept burning down and down and down and down and down and down and down. It's 8, it's 9, it's 10. And this is a small group at Bethany. And I said, I want to be in a group like this. And here's what, I'll never forget the answer. Here's what this one said. Good for you. Stay 20 years and keep showing up every week. You'll be in a group like this. Like you don't fabricate community. It, it takes time. It takes showing up. It takes unpeeling. It takes building trust. It takes hard conversations. It takes forgiveness. It takes vulnerability. But the beauty of it is this is the life for which everyone is created. And so here, what a great opportunity. We live in a city, 200 people moving in a week to work in tech companies and things like that. Lonely. Can't even find a house. In need of what? Not just housing. Community. So the challenge would be for each one of us to sign up and get involved in some form of a, if you're not already, get involved in some form of a small group. We planted a redwood tree in our backyard uh, here in Seattle when we moved here, a coastal redwood from down in the Bay Area. And it just took off. It grew so, way faster it was supposed to grow, actually. Became a little imbalanced in weight, and then a piece of it fell off, broke off and fell over. So we had a tree doctor come out, and he said, yeah, I think the, other, the rest of it's, gonna, it's good for another whatever period of time, 20 years. He said, but Richard, he says, you should never plant a redwood tree alone. I said, really? What do you mean? He said, well, you know, they're designed to be in a community of redwoods. It's the only way they work. Their root structure is actually quite shallow. But one redwood spawns another, and then as the other grows, the roots begin to weave together so that one tree, as it grows older, will draw on the tinsel strength of a younger tree. And the, and the younger tree, more susceptible to wind and weaker in some ways, will draw on the strength of the older tree. Every tree drawing on the strength of the other. This is the tree doctor giving me the gospel. Do you understand? <laughs> Who in the room are standing alone as redwoods? Don't let this happen to you. So we can sign up even right now. Here's a way to do that. 
we've worked hard this fall to put in place a structure so that you can be involved in a small group. And if you're not yet involved in a small group, my challenge to you, don't let another day pass without getting involved in a community where people are learning over time to love each other. You're, if you sign up for a group, you're committing to nine months together. After nine months, you could bail if you need to bail. But uh, try this and find community because this is the life for which you're created. And listen, if you already have community, maybe, maybe God is speeding you anyway because I will tell you this, others don't. And in Romans 12, what are we told? Practice hospitality. Be community for those who don't have community, even if you already have it. So however God is speaking to you, this is a moment of response because I believe that we are right in the midst of a great opportunity as people move into our city looking for the very thing that the gospel is all about. Lives interwoven together like roots of a redwood tree so that we needn't live and die alone. Will you pray with me? Father, we are mindful that there's a deep drive and hunger in every heart in the room to, to know, to be known, and a bit of ambivalence, afraid of the vulnerability in that, afraid of the commitment in that. But I pray over our congregation, Jesus, would you make us a community of interwoven relationships? Would you give each one of us in this room the courage to say yes to intimacy, to commitment, to relationship, to hospitality. To the end, Father, that people looking for that very thing that is a portal to your life would find it in our life, our life together. Move us from infants to one body, interrelated. We'll thank you for the adventure. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship. Let's respond.